Our reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. This passage tells us of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to two disciples, saying, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and there you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We've just read of Jesus entering Jerusalem and as we move into Holy Week, I I wonder if we should ask ourselves afresh, have we really allowed him to enter our hearts? Amen. Just as we come to look at God's word, uh, it makes sense that we ask God to help us to understand that. So please join me as I pray. Now, Father, it is your word, and it's all about you. We pray that you'll help us to see you, Father, Son, and Spirit, more clearly through your word. Amen. Jack Dawson uh, was a painter, uh, and he painted this picture. It's called Peace. 
This seems a strange title for something that's so chaotic and ferocious. And as I looked at it, the imposing scene, the ferocity, the storm, it was those things that had my full attention. And yet as I kept looking, I saw something that is so easy to miss, but which affects the whole picture. There is a small bird sheltering, sheltering on a rock shelf. The overall perspective of the big picture and what is within it in the small picture both complement each other. Both actually add to enhancing the whole thing. On Palm Sunday, many of us are familiar with the big picture. The big picture of Jesus riding in on a donkey into Jerusalem. The crowds, as we've seen, laying cloaks and branches down. And this fulfilled a prophecy that Zechariah made some 450 or 500 years before Jesus. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we read, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Within the big picture of Palm Sunday, of the narrative, there are small pieces of detail which are so easy to mix, to miss. And yet they add depth and they complement the whole picture. One of those pieces is what the prophet Isaiah wrote. So Zechariah wrote some 500 BC. Isaiah wrote some 750 or 780 BC. He said in Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 11, Say to daughter Zion, see your saviour comes, see his reward is with him. And Matthew, as he recounts this Palm Sunday narrative as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, uses both Zechariah and Matthew together. And so in chapter 21 of Matthew, in verse 5, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. To grasp what this means for us, in the light of Palm Sunday, we need to look backwards. As I said, Isaiah wrote in the 8th century BC, he he preached a message of God's holiness and the importance of repenting or turning back. But Isaiah was told, in a sense, right at the start of his ministry, that many would not listen. And so part of his message was a message of judgment that would come as a result of their hard hearts. And because of that, Isaiah foreshadowed that God's people would be taken off their land, they would be dragged into exile. But Isaiah also prophesied that after that time, God would bring his people 
back to their land. They were dragged off their land something like 700 BC. I need to look at my fellow student who was in college with me. About 587 BC, just comes, 587 BC. Uh, but they came back, they came back to their land around about 500 BC. As the Jews returned to their land, there was incredible anticipation, anticipation of a bright future. God through Isaiah, prophesied this sense of comfort and this sense of rejoicing at what was going to come. A new future. And yet, as they came back to their land, with all this anticipation and expectation, it was incredibly hard. Opposition, rebuilding the temple was difficult, falling back into the same social issues they'd had before. And God's promises of a new future seemed a distant memory. I read recently of a gentleman called Jacob Dossett. Jacob Dossett and his family swapped the northern beaches of Sydney for the northern rivers of New South Wales in the middle of 2021. They couldn't afford to buy in Sydney. They were renting in Sydney and yet they wanted to have a house so they purchased a house. They wanted to make a, what they call a tree change, not just a sea change. And they bought a humble three-bedroom home in Mullumbimby for a fraction of the price that it will cost in Sydney. Now, Mr Dossett knew that it was flood-prone, the area, but long-term locals who he spoke to assured him that previous floods had never reached beyond the garage of the house he was buying as it was off the ground. But after living there for less than a year, they've now lost everything. What began with such anticipation of a new life something that gave them a dream has been taken away with these catastrophic floods. What began so enthusiastically has left them devastated and disillusioned. This is what life was like for the Jewish people. Coming back into their land with all the anticipation and yet it amounted, it seemed, to nothing. God has spoken of comfort and their suffering being over, but their expectations seemed ruined. And it seems that way for the disciples of Palm Sunday too. There was great anticipation as they came into Jerusalem. This was the moment, this was when Jesus would become king who would liberate them from Roman occupation. And yet within a week, their expectations would be dashed. And yet that would not be the end. Isaiah 62 
which is where that verse comes from that Matthew and Zechariah have used. Isaiah 62 comes in a section within Isaiah that comes after a passage known as Isaiah 53, which speaks about a suffering servant, one who would die on behalf of others. It comes after that, but it comes before chapter 65 to 66 that speak of a new heaven and a new earth. In some sense, it's like the time we're in now. While Palm Sunday points towards Jesus' death, we are now on the other side of the cross and we await Jesus' return and all that means. Yet it's in this time, this time of waiting, when things happen that we don't anticipate. We think things are going to get better and all of a sudden something crashes into our life and we find ourselves asking questions, where is God? I thought this was going to happen. How do I deal with this? Why does God allow this? Where is he? Isaiah 62 looked forward to when the fulfilment of God's promises would be clearly seen. And he speaks of it like a wedding. And those who mock God's people will see very publicly God's commitment to them. I guess uh, it's been dented in COVID times, but often with weddings, a whole lot of people will come and have a look who haven't been invited. I'm not normally one of those people. Seeing what the bride looks like. Unless it's my daughter. But when our son was in a bridal party, I wanted to go and have a look. I wanted to see. And I was surprised how many people turn up who just stand outside and wait till the bride goes in. Isaiah spoke of a time that would come when God's loving relationship with his people would be clearly seen. It would be seen publicly. Just like a wedding, lots of people will be able to see what's taking place. Chapter 62, the beginning of Isaiah, chapter 62 says, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem, in the hand of your God, no longer will you be called deserted or your name or your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her, and your land Beulah, which means married, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. Isaiah takes this imagery of a marriage where names are changed. Uh, when Liz married me, she willingly and graciously changed her name. Her name was Elizabeth Holman, but she took on a new name, and now Elizabeth Williams. It was an indication of a new identity, a new status in her life. 
In the ancient world, change of names indicated a change of character. We see that sometimes with Bible names. Jacob becomes Israel. Saul becomes Paul. So a change of name is this change of who the person is. And God said, no longer will they call you deserted or your land desolate, but, they will, but you will be called, my delight is in you and your land married. And it will be a time when it's clear to all, all those in the world to see what's taking place. Isaiah was pointing forward to when a rescue would come, the marriage relationship, which we know at the end of the Bible talks about Jesus as the coming for his bride, the church. And it's only possible because of Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday where Jesus rides into Jerusalem, heading towards his death. But as he rode in, it wasn't seen that way. It was seen as a time of great celebration, great anticipation. All their dreams will be fulfilled. A bit like the painting, everyone could see the big picture. But in fact, there was a smaller picture which gave meaning to the whole picture. Jesus was foreshadowing a new identity for his people. A change of name for who they are. And our identity is that we are alive in Christ because we died with him. A gentleman called Watchman Nee once wrote, uh, he'd been struggling with uh, how to live the Christian life for a number of years. And he said, I was upstairs sitting at my desk, reading the word and praying, having struggled for seven years. And I said, Lord, open my eyes. And then in a flash, I saw it. He was reading through Romans. I saw my oneness with Christ. I saw that I was in him and that when he died, I died. I saw that the question of my death was a matter of the past and not of the future and that I was just as truly dead as he was because I was in him when he died. The whole thing dawned upon me. I was carried away with such joy that I jumped up from my chair and cried, Praise the Lord, I'm dead. I ran downstairs and met one of my brothers helping in the kitchen. I laid hold of him. Brother, I said, do you know that I've died? I must admit he looked puzzled. What do you mean? He said. So I went on. Do you know that Christ has died? Do you not know? Do you not know that Christ has died? Do you not know that I died with him? Do you not know that my death is no less truly a fact than his. He saw his identity. And our identity is that we are alive in Christ because we have been crucified with Christ. A new identity. A Christ one. We live in a world that gives us so many messages as to where our identity should be found. We find our identity in how we look, in our weight, in our, what we purchase, in who we know, in where we go. We find our identity in whether we're married, what our children do. 
In fact, we live in a world where there's advertising bombarding us all the time and actually the purpose of advertising is to make us feel dissatisfied, make us think we want what they're advertising. We long for something else, thinking that will give us a new identity, that will make us complete. Isaiah 62 was pointing forward to Jesus who will travel the pathway of the cross for us who will secure a new identity on our behalf. Isaiah chapter 62 sits in a, in a unit, a, a thematic unit of chapters 60 to 62. And interestingly, either side of that, those chapters, we find two passages where God himself will act because there's no one else to act. Chapter 59 and verses 15 to 21, just a short passage. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. And then just after those chapters in chapter 63... It was for me the day of vengeance. The year for me to redeem had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm achieved salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. God looked, and there was no one. He knew that before the creation of the world. I was just writing for our benefit. The Son of God rode into Jerusalem humbly towards the cross to bring a victory that no one else could accomplish. And so we read in verses 11 and 12, The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, your Saviour comes. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. It's God's faithfulness to himself that assures us of a new identity and a new future. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he would have known what Isaiah wrote. He would have known what Zechariah wrote what they were pointing towards. Despite all the cheers and acclamations, Jesus knew that he would face a death bearing the weight of all the sin through all generations of the world. But because he knew the scriptures, he also knew it would be his death that would bring about the fulfillment of all the prophets had spoken of as Isaiah 62 points towards, it would bring about the new heavens and the new earth where God's people will live in God's place. We live in a world that is opposed, it would seem, to anything to do with the Christian God. We live in a world where there is sickness, where there is loneliness, where there is injustice, 
racism, domestic violence, war, natural disasters. But Isaiah 62 was pointing to a time when they will be no more. The one who rode in Jerusalem on a donkey who came to serve will be acknowledged publicly, like a wedding, with the wedding guests being able to, everyone being able to come and see that he is the Lord and the judge and his love and commitment to his people, where everyone will see his love for all those who choose to be in his church, all those he has predestined and called into his church. We can't do what Jesus did on Palm Sunday. He alone walked that road. But he does call us to keep following and taking up our cross. For that is where our identity is. God's kingdom is coming. But it's hard to see at times. We live in a world that tries to give us new identities. We live in situations that are so overwhelming that they almost cause us to forget about what is coming. But Palm Sunday reminds us of Jesus going to the cross, but also the cross will bring about the new heaven and the new earth when he returns. And so Isaiah 62 has these verses. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The sense of watchmen watching out. Isaiah talks about You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest. The church has a mission of taking the gospel to the world. But the church also is called to keep praying. And what does the Bible end with? Come, Lord Jesus. It's a prayer for God's kingdom to come. It's a prayer for the wedding where all people will see who truly he is. And as Paul says in Ephesians, we'll see the glory of the church. Not because the church is special, but because he is special. We may not be able to see the future, but Isaiah reminds us that the future is secure. And Zechariah encourages us to keep looking to the one who came to serve. And Matthew reminds us that it's Jesus who goes to the cross. And the book of Revelation reminds us that he's coming again. I'd like to pray.
Now, Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the encouragement. It is as it points us forward. And we thank you how your word is connected through many, many generations and many centuries. And our different authors used your word. Your, your inspired word. And now as we read it today, we thank you for the encouragement and the reminder it gives to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus and his willingness to leave all that was his as your son. To come, to humble himself for his willingness to walk that path, for his love to bring glory to you by only doing what you wanted and told him to do, all the way to the cross. But we thank you that the cross has secured an eternal security for those who trust in you. So we pray that you would help us to keep looking. Please give us resilience in the gospel to look beyond all that is present and keep reminding ourselves of what is coming. And Father, while we find prayer so challenging at times and difficult and we confess our laziness, and our self-centeredness, we pray that you'll help us to keep praying, as it were, having no rest, and giving you no rest. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.